Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Spending your Saturday morning with us, Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you. We are taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Our next listener wanted to know, they say, hey, where can we find your show if we miss it on Saturday morning? By the way, a portion of this show airs on Sunday in the afternoon. I didn't know that till I was sitting in the airport waiting for my son to come back from a trip. You know, listening to yourself I'm on like, the radio. Well, I didn't know this, uh, but the other part of that is that you can always catch it on, you know, on the podcast. There is a KSL Greenhouse podcast. Uh, they air the whole show. You just go to kslnewsradio.com, go to the podcast section, and then uh, search down there for the KSL Greenhouse show, and then you can listen to that on. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, uh, whenever you want. And it's really fun. They put like a kind of a description of what happened in that segment so you can kind of see the topics if you have a specific thing that you're searching for. Yeah. And if you do have a favorite podcast player, you know, you can pick us up on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, I think even Amazon. <laughs> mm-hmm. So most any podcast player, if you type in KSL Greenhouse Show, will also bring it up. Just know, though, that your participation in the show is what makes it good, not us. So uh, make sure you're listening live as well whenever you but can. The more of us and the less of them is not good. No. The it's more not. of us is No, our show is caller-driven, text-driven, and we right. appreciate the participation. Right. Uh, let's go to the phone lines now. Rod is in Salem. Good morning, Rod. What is your question? Good morning. We have two burnt orange maple trees that have been in our yard for over 15 years, Uh, have been beautiful trees. But in the last uh, three or four years, one of the trees, uh, in the spring it comes up with uh, green leaves, but within 30 days they turn yellow. This particular year it was yellow most of the year and dropped its leaves really early, probably in October, and I'm worried about losing that tree. I've I've tried chelated iron. I have tried the Save a Tree product, but it, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be able to be healed. Is there anything I can do to save that tree? Well, I to help perform a miracle healing on your tree, I think we're going to do. A witch's brew. Um, <laughs> well, look at me going to hell. Um, we're mixing up all these different religions. But um, I, when I say a witch's brew, I, what I'm referring to is that we're just going to take the shotgun approach and do everything possible because the iron didn't work. And so what I would recommend doing is this probably late March, hit up like IFA or Steve Regan, get some... Uh, fulvic or uh, humic acid. There's liquid humic acid. So you're going to want some liquid humics. Then get some liquid fertilizer, you know, something 
they'll have it there, some just liquid complete fertilizer. In addition to that, chelated iron is going to go in. So if you, especially if you already have some, we're using Miller Ferro Plus iron or grow more chelated iron. Those are the two best ones. This is going to go into this mix. And then you're also going to find a product with micronutrients in it. So there will be several liquids that you can get that will have micros. And you're going to be mixing this up in several gallons of water. So how big is your tree? It's a little bit over 30 feet now. Okay. So what you're going to probably need are between 5 and 10 five-gallon buckets worth to really drench the tree. So you're going to buy all these products and mix them at the recommended rate in the water. And what you'll do is just go back and forth from the trunk to the outside of the drip line and back in a, a Z or a snake pattern and get that all under the tree. And then you're going to water it in with your hose for 10 or 15 minutes. But we're using every possible product we can think of to make those nutrients more available in the soil and the nutrients that you're applying because the iron didn't work. All right. That sounds good. I so can, I think I can brew this. Yes. And so, if professors are listening from USU, I'm not wholeheartedly giving humic acids an endorsement. All I'm trying to do is free up <laughs> nutrients for a long time so that the roots can absorb them in March. So, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. There's a gentleman named Matt Gench who has a brew similar to this that I saw him resurrect several trees. Never knew what was in there that did it, but it did work. So hopefully it works for you. Thank you. Give that a try. Appreciate All it. All right. Thanks, Rod, for your call this morning. I feel like I need to do some sort of disclaimer. You're talking about witches brew, shotguns. Uh, the KSL Greenhouse does not promote any sort of religion or violence. There. I, th I think I feel better now. Yes. And we do not especially promote violence against plants. We do not. Uh, next listener says they're thinking of planting a purple fountain tree on their uh, their property. used to be a parking lot, and the ground is very hard. How is that going to impact this tree or will it affect the tree? So the, probably Purple Fountain Beach. And did they say they're wanting to put it in a park strip? No, they're just going to plant it in their yard. But they, they're concerned because the, yard, the ground's really hard because it used to be a parking lot. Well, I, you can't really How do they prepare? discount that. But all they can do is plant it. And I think that it'll most likely be okay as long as other plants are growing, sometimes these parking lots will have a long-term ground sterile and applied under the pavement or before the pavement is put down. Mm -hmm. And as long as they have other plants doing okay, I think that, you know, a beach is going to be as likely to survive as anything. So could they add some, a lot of stuff to the soil to make it? Or a lot of organic matter compost tilled in around the root zone. But it just depends on how well other things are doing in the area. Okay. Don is in Spanish for Good morning, Don. What is your question? Oh, shoot. Good morning, Don. I'm here. I've just got to get to where it's not on the car radio. Can you hear me? We okay? cannot no, hear we, your radio. You're fine. We can't hear your radio. You're fine. Go ahead. Can I grow figs here in Utah County? Kind of. It depends on what your goal is. If you are wanting figs like you would grow in California or, you know, South Georgia, South Carolina, no. 
But there are a few cold hardy figs that even though they might die to the ground, you will get a crop off of them. And so uh, brown turkey or Chicago hardy. Is there anything special in how I've got to prepare the soil? No, they grow just fine, especially the Spanish Fork area. What you might do is join the uh, Utah Rare Fruit Growers on Facebook because there are many people growing figs there that can give you tips and tricks. If you plant it and do nothing, it'll die to the ground almost every year, and you'll get a fall crop off of them. But some people will wrap them in foam or you know, burlap and leaves and things. And so there's some different things you can do to increase the amount of fruit. And there are three or four hardy varieties, but the most common ones are Chicago hardy and brown turkey. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, Don. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Uh, Tonner next listener says a lot of red winter berries are toxic. Is there one that is not, but will still bloom in the winter? Do they bloom in the winter? No, I'm not sure what they might be referring to. Uh, hawthorn trees have red berries. Okay. And they're not toxic. You can actually turn them into jelly. If What you do is flavor them up with apple juice. And then it, they have a lot of pectin in them, but not a lot of sugar. Mm-hmm. And so if they wanted something red berry that wasn't toxic, I think that the hawthorn trees would be a great option, maybe Catoniaster. The berries aren't really toxic, but they don't taste good. That would be another option or, or some of the species of Catoniaster. Do they bloom in winter? They bloom in the spring, and then they have berries through the winter. Oh, okay. They do have the berries in the winter. They just don't show up in the winter. Correct. Okay. <laughs> or emerge in the winter, maybe that's what I want to say. Okay, we're going to take a break. Come back with your calls and questions. Phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can text us, 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Okay, I'm going to let Dave Meekham get away with some fun Christmas music. When he wants to play it in October, I kind of draw the line. But Yeah, you know, I, I like the Beach Boys I like it. Christmas album. I've threatened to punish my kids. <laughs> if they don't clean their rooms, I'll play it all day long. Oh, it seems to motivate them a bit, really? but I like I this album. this song. Oh, they just think it's bad because Dad likes it. Oh, for sure. So. For sure. 
Thank you so much for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you. Phone lines are open. 801-575-8255. Next half hour, we're going to talk about, you know, fun gifts. We know people are Christmas shopping. We know it's Christmas time. And there are those gardeners on your list. And so you've come up with some ideas for some fun Christmas gifts that we'll talk about yes, on the other we side. We try to do day. this every year. And I thought, even though it was kind of mid-December, we'd get ahead of... Oh, it's not ahead if you haven't yeah. been doing your Christmas Well, shopping. and it's usually like December 23rd that we bring this stuff up. And so I, for me, this is way ahead. I feel like you I'm know. way ahead. When I you're out at 2 in the morning, the 23rd over the 24th, thinking Walmart's open, but what am I going to get for my wife? That's just torturing yourself. Yes. Torturing so we're taking yourself. care of things earlier. All right. Our next listener would like to know, when should they prune roses and how far down should they prune them so they don't kill them? Mid-March is when they're going to prune them. And they need to get a ruler because it needs to be 29 and a half inches. Right. Not really. Um, so on. what I would recommend doing is mid-March and cut them down depending on how mature they are. And this is hybrid tea roses mm-hmm. to between knee and waist height. And you'll prune them back so that you have three to four main canes. And the reason you hit them so hard, and we talk about we don't encourage brutality on plants. We're not really. But the goal here is to force lots of new growth because that's where your flowers come from. And if you will prune them in mid-March down to between knee and waist height, three or four main canes, you will increase, greatly increase the number of flowers over what you normally see. Plus, you're keeping the size of that rose in check. And so if you let your roses go, and especially if they aren't winter damaged, they can get 10 feet tall. And really hard to manage. And so we prune them back to keep them manageable and to keep them flowering a lot more. Okay. Next person asks, does the hawthorn tree with berries in the winter need another tree to pollinate them or can they just plant one? They should be able to plant one. There's enough hawthorn around that it should produce berries on its own. So if you want one that's quite pretty and easy to grow... Washington hawthorn is gorgeous. It's native to the Northwest, but it has really nice fall foliage and kind of an orangey red mm-hmm. and then the red berries. Some other ones to look at are Lavelle. That one's semi-evergreen, and so it will hold its leaves through November and oftentimes color up in December. So it'll have red leaves in December and they finally drop. So my two favorite hawthorns are Lavelle and Washington, but there's many other good ones out there. One of them that is thornless is called Thornless Coxburgh Hawthorn. Um, that's another one that's out there too, but really mm. underused trees. Uh, you were saying you that you learned some information about uh, why they hold onto their berries? Yes. Uh, hawthorns, it's, you're often told at the garden center, oh, birds will pick those berries off. Birds won't. And it isn't that the fruit is toxic. It's that it lacks sugar and fat so that the birds need through the winter. And so they're a last resort food for those birds because things like crab apples, rose hips, there's a lot of other plants that have a lot more nutritious and sugar loaded fruit than hawthorn. And so 
you will see cedar wax wings on hawthorns once in a while, but they are the last option because the berries are a little bit nutritionally deficient for them. Now, you can, on some of the hawthorn species, actually harvest the fruit and mixing it with apple juice, you can turn it into a hot, what's called haw jelly. And the haw jelly or hawthorn fruit jelly uh, was made, I know my aunt from Canada made it when she, her family made it when they were young. And there's some Eastern species that are used for it, but it, they can't, they are edible, although they may not be that tasty. Hmm. Do people plant hawthorns for the berries? Not generally. We are so afraid of berries, but the hawthorns hold the berries through the winter. I still would plant them not by my sidewalk unless you, you know, you might have to take a leaf blower out or something, but they're fairly clean for having so much fruit. So the hawthorns are planted because they're very durable and generally quite cold hardy and they tolerate our soils quite well, whether they're clay or loamy. And so they tolerate alkaline soil. And so they're underused because they can get some thorns on them. And they do have that fruit, but they're gorgeous trees. I, I'm just, I don't know. I don't have a hawthorn tree that I know of in my neighborhood. So I'm just trying to no, visualize. And, and I, I don't want to pull it up really quick. I'll do it during the yeah, break. Yeah, we'll do it at break. But the one hawthorn tree that I would avoid oh. is the English hawthorn. Because? Because it blooms early and it's terribly susceptible to fire blight. And so even though they have gorgeous red or pink flowers, because they bloom early, they get fire blight in them. And the hawthorns I've been talking about are North American natives that have adapted over thousands of years to bloom later so they avoid fire blight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So English hawthorns, so Paul Scarlet is the one that I, I think is the prettiest one, but it's the one I would not plant. Have you found that people are a little afraid to plant trees right now because of the lack of water. Yes. You know, people are, what am I going to do if I go on drought? But with a very few exception, with very few exceptions, the, even in drought conditions, the water authority, whoever manages your irrigation has encouraged people to water their trees because it's only every other week. If they're established, water them deeply because they actually, the shade conserves water and reduces your energy bills if you have the trees placed correctly. And so they have made exceptions for trees. It feels like I just hear one extreme or the other. They're either the people who are too concerned about the water and they're not going to plant anything, and the people who are so concerned that we're going to all stop planting trees and we're just going to, you know, zero escape means no greenery and we're just going to rob the atmosphere of things that yeah. it needs. Well, most of our oxygen oxygen actually comes from the oceans, from plankton. The Amazon forest is an important source of oxygen, but most of our oxygen actually comes from oceans, microorganisms in the oceans, and so we'll be okay. You know, we're not going to be depleted of oxygen with fewer trees. It's not great because there's other environmental impacts, but it's Kind of a misnomer, we assume that most of our oxygen comes from trees and plants where a lot of our oxygen actually comes out of the oceans. This is where I want to say everything in moderation. Everything in Don't moderation. Don't think about everything at to such extremes. Yes. 
But we do need trees. Let's be honest. We we need to have that for shade and cooling, and and we don't want things to heat up any more than they already. No, are. and and you know we talk sometimes about you know economically disadvantaged areas. And one thing that defines economically disadvantaged areas is a lack of plant material. And so if you go into cities, the poorest areas are usually the hottest because of the urban heat effect. And part of moderating that in a lot of our cities is that we are paying for trees to be planted or organizing residents to plant them on their own so that there's some buy-in. But you can actually tie back lack of plant material to economic status in cities. And part of the disadvantages is that you probably are living in a hotter area if you're lower income. Is there any way to know how much a tree actually cools things down? Yes. And I don't have the studies in front of me, but I know like in the Phoenix area, you can save 30 to 40 percent of the energy you use to cool a building if it's shaded on the south and west side by trees. Here, it may not be quite as much because we don't get as hot, but you can still 10 to 20 percent is a good estimate, at least on what you'll save if you have strategically placed trees in the landscape. Hmm, That's why it's really nice to have a good plan. It is. All right. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. When we come back following the news, we're going to be talking about uh, some fun gifts for that gardener on your Christmas list. So stay with us for the KSL Greenhouse Show. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.